Welcome to season four of Big Time Small Talk. I am so excited. Life is so different now. It's different when I started this show just in September of 2020. We're at over 4,000 downloads. I mean, it's a show that is growing. I'm heard in over 24 countries. It's been an exciting ride. But of course, the most exciting thing is I'm a mom. <laughs> I have a baby. She is sleeping right now. She is the best baby. I really got lucky. I mean, blessed, lucky, whatever you want to call it. I can't wait to share all the details of how she officially came into this world and into our world. We are beyond excited and I am madly in love. There's so much going on in my life and in the world, not just baby stuff. So let's get into it. Welcome to Big Time Small Talk, stories and observations beyond small talk. I am your host, Jody Rollins, and this is the first episode of season four. Wow. You know, um, life's been a roller coaster lately, but one thing that's been constant is you guys. Listenership is up. I'm so honored that anyone is listening and that you are listening is incredible, and more and more of you every day. So thank you guys so much. Um, the baby is sleeping, so that's good. <laughs> She's an awesome little girl. We named her Rowan Catherine. Rowan because we liked the name, and it also is a Scottish name, and I'm part Scottish, and my husband is as well, and it means a tree. It's the Rowan tree, and in honor of my father-in-law who passed away, um, and he loved trees. He actually had a beautiful property that he and my mother-in-law sort of built together and created a life on, and it was a certified tree farm. It's stunning in New Hampshire, so since he passed away, we wanted to honor him this way by naming her after the Rowan tree. Um, and then Catherine is my mom's first name. She is alive and well in honor of her. It's a beautiful kind of classic name, I think, Catherine with a K. And so that's her name, Rowan Catherine Rollins. And she was born on August 6th at 8.38 in the morning in Utah. So I want to tell you all about it because it was definitely an emotional roller coaster. It's adoption, as one of my adoption counselors said, because you have adoption counselors as you go along through the process, adoption is not for the faint at heart. And I may have mentioned that in a couple episodes ago, a couple episodes ago, but it's a lot. I mean, you're passing a human being from one birth mom to an adoptive mom, and that's a mouthful to say. Um, from here on out, I'm going to say B moms for birth mom and A mom for the adoptive mom. It's just a lot easier. <laughs> but it's been a whole process from the paperwork. And you guys can check out past episodes where I explain all of that. But it's a lot of paperwork. And I mean, classes and 
fingerprinting, just everything from writing book reports, having to read reports, uh, just so much paperwork. I had two huge, like six inch binders full of paperwork, one for the home study, which is all about you and your spouse. In this case, I have a spouse um, and your house and the size of your house and how many windows does it have and how many square feet and what's your emergency exit and all of this stuff. And then people have to write letters on your behalf that you're a decent human being. And then you have to meet with them and, you know, be reviewed as a person and talk about your childhood. Were you spanked as a child? How do you feel about that? Like, were you molested? Just like there is no stone left unturned. It was a lot. And so to finally get to the point where you have a birth mother and you're going to get your baby it just was overwhelming, overwhelmingly good, overwhelmingly emotional, and overwhelmingly scary at times as well. And I want to get into all of that because <clears throat> I think that adoption has this sort of ethereal pie in the sky sort of view of it. You know, a lot of young couples or really anyone sometimes will say things like, oh yeah, you know, maybe we'll adopt one day. Like maybe we'll buy a new car. Maybe we'll go to the grocery store. Maybe we'll travel or maybe we'll adopt. Like it's a very simple thing and it's not. And I, I, I'm sure that people know it's not simple, but it seriously was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And I want to get into all of that and I will, and I'll explain like what happened, I hate when my computer makes that noise when I'm recording, but I'll explain what happened at the hospital and how I met my daughter and all of that. But first, I want to take a moment and say that if this is your first time listening, first of all, thank you so much. Thank you for finding the show however you did, whether it was social media, I, I don't know if somebody shared an episode with you or word of mouth or what have you, a hashtag Thank you for taking a risk and trying a new show for someone that you probably don't know or have never heard of. I know a lot of my fans come from Big Brother, which is awesome. Thank you. And then there's people who have been listening since day one and everyone in between. Thank you so much because there are a bazillion, gadrillion, manillion podcasts to listen to. I think one of the last counts was there's over 30 million. That's a lot of podcasts. And a lot of them are celebrity driven with, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and millions of dollars behind them for marketing and advertising. And I'm just the little show that could, you know, it's similar when you support small businesses and you end up supporting the community and individuals. The same goes for when you support small podcasts like this one. I listen to celebrity driven podcasts, but I also listen to small ones, too, because why not? Everyone has opinions or things to say, and they don't all have to be celebrities. So thank you guys so much. I mean, I have like three seconds worth of celebrity from being on a TV show, but I'm not a huge celebrity. And you listen. So I really, really appreciate that. This is my passion. This is my love. So thank you for every episode you've ever clicked on. And I hope you will continue to do this. I mean, there are over, what, 75 episodes, 79, I don't even know now, for you to binge listen to all types of topics. We like to have fun, talk about serious topics, things I get 
passionate about and just can't control myself. But then this is very sort of semi-autobiographical as well. I love connecting, connecting with the listener and, you know, sharing life's stories and journeys. That's why my tagline is observations beyond small talk. Because I like to talk about the nitty gritty, the stuff that isn't just, you know, small talk at a party or when you're at a Thanksgiving dinner, you're like, oh, don't want to talk about politics. Don't talk about race. Don't talk about mental health. Oosh. Those are the things that I think make us human. The difficult things, the topics that we say we shouldn't talk about, I think we should. And so that's what this show is all about. Sometimes serious, sometimes funny, sometimes whimsical, everything in between. So thank you. I hope you guys will keep listening. If you want to follow me on social media, please do. You can follow me on Instagram at Jody Rollins. That's where I am most, most active, especially my stories. Follow my stories. I, I post pictures and photography and fun stuff and updates about the show. So that's a great place to see info as well. And again, that's at Jody Rollins. Nice and simple. My name. I do have an Instagram page for the show. <clears throat> But um, I'm most active on my personal page. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jody's Box, as in Jody's Mailbox, J-O-D-I-S-B-O-X. Most of the time that talk is about Big Brother. That's where I sort of, I guess, got my biggest following from being on a reality show in 2012, which is crazy how long ago that was, how quickly time flies. And if you want to support the show financially, you can do that just Click on any episode, scroll down to the bottom of the show notes, and you will see a couple options of things you can do. One, support this show, and then you can see all the options. You can do 99 cents a month, or I think $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. So really easy. And hey, I got a kid in diapers, so every little bit helps. This is something I'm just going to continue to do and grow. So... If you want to support it financially, thank you so much. If you want to leave a voice message, you can do that. If you have questions, comments, concerns, sometimes I play them on the show. Other times I just listen because a lot of them have been really personal and just thanking me for touching on topics or showing them a different perspective. So every one of you, you know who you are. Thank you so much for those who do support the show financially, financially and those who have left voice messages. I love it ask questions. It's fun. You know, share your thoughts and insight and experiences with this show. It's really meaningful to me. Um, <clears throat> if you want to write the show, you can write me at bigtimesmalltalkpodcast at gmail.com as well, or just on Instagram or wherever I'm around. So that's the business. I think, did I get everything out? Yeah. Let's get on with the show. So my baby. My baby was born, as I said, on August 6th. So I flew out to Utah on August 5th. And um, I say I, my husband, like, I forget if I've mentioned this, but it's just been a crazy, just that saying God's time, not your own, could not have been more true. Because we had been planning this huge trip in our family in honor of my father-in-law's passing, we were going to do an ash spreading ceremony all in New Hampshire. There was a family reunion that was taking place, excuse me, in Maine. And my stepson who turned 18, we do sort of a 
becoming a man ceremony every year for all there's four boys um and my stepkids and 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 we do a, a becoming a man ceremony like this whole thing like some of them have fire and like act, like these um actions that each one of the kids has to do like build something or people share advice and it's just really special I'm not at them because they're for men only. My stepdaughter had her own thing that I put together for her, but which was female only. But I, I was going to help put this whole thing together. It's an outdoor event. Then there was going to be the ash spreading ceremony. And then after that, we were going to go to New York City <clears throat> and kind of take a train and work our way down the city, uh, down the East Coast and um, really share all of that because my stepson, the 18-year-old, had never been to New York City and my 15, wait, how old is he now? Yes, 15-year-old stepson had also never been to New York City, and I used to live there. My husband had been there very, very briefly back when he was in college, but it was going to be this really special bonding trip as well as my 24-year-old stepson as well. So it was going to be this whole thing. And then we were going to go to D.C., and I have a friend who works in like Congress, and he was going to give us a tour. So I was beyond excited, and then it was going to end by taking my stepson to college. Um, and, you know, he's starting his first year. So it was this whole family dynamic thing with everybody flying out from different places, different cities, different states. Literally took six months to plan this. And then, bing, <laughs> we get our birth mom and she's due right smack dab in the middle of it. So, we had to split basically. And my husband and I were heartbroken. We really wanted to be together for both events, but we couldn't split ourselves. So I went to the birth and he went to everything else family. He's actually still in the process of taking my stepson down to college and he'll be back on Thursday. So go to Utah. That's where my adoption agency is. And the birth mom is not from Utah and the bee mom. That's right. I said I was going to call it that. And um, I won't give you too many details about her because she's a private person, but I flew into Utah. So I flew into Utah because that's where my adoption agency is. And Utah has some really strong, good adoption laws, which I got to say, Utah, you rock. Because I feel like they fully take into consideration the B mom and the A mom instead of just one or the other. It's very easy to say, oh, you know, the poor bee mom, the poor bee mom, everything she's going through. But there are two parties and both go through things. And it's kind of like, I was thinking about this. It's like when you, if you work at a job and everything sucks about this job, right? You don't have the supplies you need. The management's terrible. Your coworkers stink, you know, and it's just an awful job. And you talk to your coworker and, or your boss and they're like, well, just be happy you have a job. And I think some adoption agencies treat it similarly. Like, well, this is difficult and we know we're not paying attention to you or your needs, but just be happy you're getting a baby. And I don't think that's good. I think it's important to take all parties into consideration because yes, the bee mom needs to have her needs attended to because she's making this huge sacrifice. But at the same time, so is the person taking the child. And so I don't know about balance because I'm not sure how balance is achieved in something like this, but consideration 
goes a long way. There are some states where you have to wait 10 days before paperwork can be signed and the, um, the parental rights are relinquished. Utah is fantastic because you have all this time beforehand. There's counseling for the BMOM, everything. And then the relinquishment papers are signed within the first, usually 24 to 48 hours, as long as the BMOM is drug-free. Drug-free meaning like you know, painkillers and all the stuff, anesthesia, all of that. Um, so I know that in, uh, somebody told me that in other states you wait 10 days and I'm like that 48 hours for me, which actually turned out to be less than 48 hours. And I'll get into all that was an eternity. It felt like every minute was an hour because again, you just don't know if she's going to change her mind, no matter what she says anything is possible. And then you are out of some of your money, not all of it. And you don't have a baby and you're heartbroken and you have to start all over again and you're devastated. So I just was just, you know, like, it's almost like you're kind of gripping the handles or the, the armrests on a, on a, a plane ride. Like once you get on, you know, you get onto that plane, you know that you have no control. Like you trust in your pilots and you trust in your flight attendants and you hope that the guy next to you doesn't smell because you don't have control. And you've done all you can. You've chosen the right airline. You've done whatever. And that's the same as with adoption. It's like once you're in, you're in and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So it's very, it's very, very scary. So we fly into Utah, we being me, I fly into Utah and, you know, by, by myself, it was okay because I was just so happy to be going to meet my daughter. And um, I just, I mean, the joy in my heart was unbelievable. It really was pure joy and jubilation, you know. I'm not the most religious person. I consider myself a Christian and I'm more spiritual than religious, but I got to tell you, there were so many moments throughout this experience where I, I, I literally felt like the presence of God and the true sense of a miracle. Because to get to this point, there were a bazillion things that could have gone wrong. And, and, and knowing that it took so long to get to this point, you know, wanting to have children, I always wanted to have children, just like every, not every, because I know some women don't, but as most little girls, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a mommy. And I always thought, well, when I'm like about 27, I'll get married. And when I'm like 29, I'll have my first kid. And then when I'm like 31, I'll have my second. And then when I'm like 34, I'll have my third. I always wanted three kids. I wanted two close together. And then one that was sort of like the last experience before I'm done having kids. And none of that happened, obviously. And I didn't even meet my husband until I was like 40. And that I, you know, I wasn't that person that was like, well, I'm focused on my career and I don't care about meeting a husband. That wasn't me. I always knew I wanted to be married and have a family, but it didn't happen. And so when it did, when it did happen and I met this incredible man and I, you know, we discussed it right off the bat. It was like, yes, you know, I'm 40. <laughs> we need to like get going here because the clock has been ticking. We knew, we knew that was the plan. 
from the get-go. And then it didn't happen. And as anybody who, who's ever tried to get pregnant knows, it's not easy. Sure, some people get pregnant on the honeymoon, but most people have to try for months and months, even 20-year-olds. And then if you're older than that, sometimes you have to try for years. And there can be infertility. There can be miscarriages. I never had any miscarriages. Thank God I hear that's awful. Ectopic pregnancies, all kinds of things can go wrong. And so going through the process and having stepkids and them, you know, some of them being for it and some of them being against the adoption and just everything financially, it's a big burden to carry. And you want to have your life the most set up it can be, right? And so all of these things that were difficult, that were hard in this moment, as I'm now landing in Utah, didn't matter. And I only felt gratitude. I was just like, thank you, God. Thank you for getting me to this place. Please, you know, please keep it going with the miracles. Don't let her change her mind. I believed her as she continued to tell us in her emails and letters and everything. My B mom, I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to change my mind. She kept telling us that. She would even call Rowan by her name. You know, some B moms just call her baby or call the baby, baby. You know, they teach us that. But she didn't. She called her Rowan. And so I felt pretty much at peace with it, but I sort of had a bit of me that was reserved and anxious, reserved to the fact that this still can go wrong, you know, but I didn't have fear. Like, I just felt like this is going to work out. Like, this child is going to be born healthy because you don't know. I mean, she goes to her doctor's appointments and everything, but you just don't know. And so I had asked to meet with the birth mom and I wanted to, you know, I'm like, can we do dinner together or something, anything at all? Because it's, it was just going to be, I get into Utah, get to my hotel. And the next day I'd meet her when I met my daughter. And I just felt like I wanted to at least meet her beforehand before I'm asking for anything. I'm just, I just wanted to meet her. So we had agreed to meet at Olive Garden, which I love Olive Garden. I know that when I lived in LA, we used to sort of make fun of it. It was like, oh, well, Olive Garden is like the McDonald's of, you know, Italian food. But now that I live in a rural county and there's not that many Italian food places to choose from and the small town, I have to say, side note, a lot of the mom and pop restaurants are very inconsistent. Inconsistent service, inconsistent food, not the best recipes. That's what I love about Olive Garden. It's always delicious and consistent. <laughs> this is not an Olive Garden commercial, but I love it. So, and they had picked it. I mean, Italian food is my favorite. So that was perfect. So I get to the Olive Garden and um, she's there and I finally see her. It's just weird because again, I'd seen her through Zoom and pictures and everything and talked to her on the phone and all the emails, but it's weird to see somebody that you're like, oh, that's my child in there, you know? And you just want to make sure that you're saying the right things and not saying the wrong things. But I didn't know what the wrong things would be. You know, is there something that I could say where she would go, oh, forget it. You're not taking my child. Let's find somebody else. You don't know. I mean, she's had a traumatic life. She's had a lot of things happen to her. And again, I won't get into them because she's a private person. But there's a reason why many people get to the point 
where they're going to put their child up for adoption. And a lot of those reasons are difficult, painful, traumatic things. And they're not good, you know? So I just felt that's where the anxiousness came in was feeling like, I just want to be here to support her and not say the wrong thing, even though I don't know what the wrong thing is, you know, because it could be anything. I don't know. So we had a meal and her helper was there and my helper was there. There's no time where you're ever alone with your bee mom. It's just how it's set up for everyone's safety. So her helper and my helper, each adoption counselors, but it's easier to call them helpers. Um, they were all sitting there and it's just kind of awkward. You know, we're making small talk. You know me, I'm not a big fan of small talk, but what are you going to do? And then she's kind of talking about past births that she's had and, you know, other things. And we're asking her questions like, how's your food? And how's the baby? How are you feeling? Have you been eating? Have you been tired? You know, stuff like that. And we're all kind of laughing. And we had a very strange server, by the way. It was a little odd. And he was like, hey, are we celebrating anything today? And we're, I was like, sort of like I didn't even know what to say and my helper's like she's having a baby and I'm like oh, oh yeah like so you can see how there's a a power shift where the a mom her needs are totally disregarded me and the b mom the focus is shifted to just her because I would have thought they would have said you know we're celebrating because the both of them are becoming moms and then just left it at that. Like, you don't have to give the guy details, but that's not what she said. And so I'm just sitting there feeling like almost like the third wheel, wait, fourth wheel, you know, I'm like, ah, so I wasn't even hungry, but I'm eating because that's what you do, you know? And so she gives me um, the official like sonogram photos. She was like, these are for you, which was nice. And it just, it, it kind of like continued the process of feeling like, okay, this is going to work. I had seen the sonograms, like pictures of them, but now I get the real things. And um, so more small talk and information. Oh, what was your flight like? Blah, blah, blah. And I tell them, and then dinner is over and she stands up and I'm like, can I touch your belly? She's like, absolutely. And she's just all basketball literally all basketball. She doesn't look pregnant from any, like from the back. She's just a tiny five foot one person who looks like they literally put a basketball under her shirt, like not even from the side, you know? So I'm just like, oh my gosh, like my baby's in there, but I don't say that, you know? So I find out as we're leaving the restaurant, the specifics of what's happening tomorrow, the birth date, and they tell me all the details. So the way it works is the next day, the birth date, I will be texted all the information as things progress. And then I will be invited to meet the baby. And that's how I was told you will be invited. So um, originally, I was supposed to be in the birth, right? Is she crying? Okay, originally, I was supposed to be in the birth room. And that got changed. And I never got an answer as to why that was. And that's the thing with this whole experience, you're very much on a need to know basis. You don't want to, you know, step on any toes. You don't want to question anything like, well, why am I not going to be in there? And then she gets upset and says, forget it. I don't want you to have my baby. Like, you just don't know. So I'm just like, okay, not in there. Fine. Which originally, I really, really wanted that. That was something I always wished that I would have happen. But somehow, once I found out I wasn't going to be in there, I literally was at peace with it. 
And I had prayed about it. And as I've mentioned before, I'm not the most religious person. I consider myself to be a Christian, but I'm more spiritual. But I've been doing a lot of praying for this. And I had peace. And I don't know where that peace came from because I didn't expect to be at peace about that. I thought I would be disappointed. But I'm like, look, this is a C-section. I don't need to be in there. They have a lot going on. You know, there's already going to be the her helper in there. And with COVID, they have all these restrictions. So I'm better off not being involved until I need to be involved. So again, the next day, I'm eating breakfast and everything, getting text messages. She's hooked up to monitors and this and that. And they had to hold her down to give her, her epidural. B-mom was freaking out. I think three people had to hold her down. But once the needle was in, everything was fine. Um, so, you know, I'm like, okay, good. And they're like, so far, everything's good. And interestingly enough, um, let's see, I think it happened really quickly. It felt like to me it happened quickly. They send me a text message and a photo of the baby, like the doctor's holding up the baby and she's got the gook all over her and like a full head of hair. And the way his arm was, I couldn't see her face, but I could see all her fingers and toes and her little booty and just everything. I was just like, oh my God, like that's my child. You know, it is even though I'm not there and this baby didn't come out of me, it was such a beautiful experience. I mean, I it just was like surreal. I'm like, that's my baby, you know, not officially yet, but that's my baby. So then they are like, okay, they're cleaning her off and baby looks good so far. And I just didn't have any fear. And again, I don't know, God the universe, whatever. I'm a person that would get anxious about things. I just wasn't. I mean, I was like, this is good. It's all going to work out. And even though my husband wasn't there, which was heartbreaking, I was at peace with it because there was nothing I could do about it. It was important that my husband was there to support his mother because as he so aptly put it, he said, you know, Rowan will never remember that I wasn't there. And as heart sick as he was about it. He said, but if I'm not there for my mom and my family for this thing for my dad, they will never forget. For him to miss all of those things that I listed, the family reunion, the thing for my stepson. I mean, it's a big time in my stepson's life too, to go to college and everything. My stepdaughter, everyone was there except me. So I was at peace with it. And then they um, text some more pictures and she's just so cute. I'm just like, oh my God. And then they say, you know, B-mom is ready for you to come meet her. And I'm like, ah, like I didn't know how long it would take. I thought maybe there was a chance I would have to wait till the afternoon or the evening. So, I mean, it was quick. I felt like baby was born at, um, and again, see, they drilled it in our heads to just call the baby, baby. Rowan was born and it felt like some 40 minutes later, they were like, come meet her. I'm like, oh my gosh. So she was born at 8.38 in the morning, five pounds, four ounces, I think 16 or 17 inches long. I need to look back at that, but just perfect. And so I jump in the rental car and I head for the hospital. And the first song that's playing is, uh, who's that band? I can't remember the band, but it's that song, Hey Look Ma, I Made It. Hey Look Ma, I Made It. I must be dreaming like that was playing. And I was like, yes, I'm like, hey, look, my, like I made it. I'm a mom and I must be dreaming. But this is real. Like it just felt prophetic. I just couldn't believe it. So beyond excited, just jubilant. I'm like, this is happening 
after all these years, after all the tears I cried, all the times it would wake me up in the night. And I was like, should I be doing this? Am I too old? Is this wrong? Should this happen? Am I supposed to be a mom? Like, is this a sign? Is there something that God is telling me? What is the universe? Like, I didn't know. And I just knew in my heart that I needed and wanted to be a mom. And as one of my therapists said to her, said to me when I said to her, am I being selfish because I want to do this? She's like, Jody, I hope you want to do this because if you're adopting a child and you don't want to do it, that's a problem, you know, and you're helping a child have a better life. So it is the exact opposite of selfishness. So... I got to the hospital and it was like I couldn't get through the sign-in process fast enough and it was like this like tunnels and swarming around and I got lost and I'm just like I just want to meet my baby. So I finally get upstairs to the room and they put her in my arms. And I was just like the first thing I said was 10 years. 10 years to meet you. And she was just like you know and not crying and beautiful. Again, you can check out the pictures of her on my Instagram. I mean, she's a beautiful, beautiful little girl. And so tiny, teeny, tiny. And I couldn't believe it. But at the same time, I also wanted to be cautious. And I was reserving some of my emotion. Even though I cried a little bit, I'm like, this is, I need to respect my bee mom and, and make sure that she feels, you know, respected and not that I'm like, okay, I'm taking her. Like I just, and there's no way of knowing what exactly to do or say, you know, it was just like, figure it out as you go along. And, you know, I, I didn't want to hog the baby and I didn't want to like, just start looking at her like, let me see her toes and let me see this and that, because it's still not technically your child. So you have to sort of hold back and just be, and it was awkward and uncomfortable and weird and that's there was anxiousness on my part and I'm sure on her part and I just stayed in the hospital with her for hours I was there till probably I want to say nine o'clock I got there around 10 maybe or nine something and I was there till nine o'clock at night and talking to the nurses and nurses would come in and be like so you're oh, your adopted mom, like some knew we were going through the adoption process, some didn't. And then they would ask questions and kind of check with both of us. So there were awkward moments like that. And then you have to be careful because the B mom is not supposed to know your last name or your phone number or your address just because that's how the process works. A lot of times B moms come from drama and trauma and maybe dangerous people or it's just how it works. You keep it separate and all communication is done um, in a way that we don't know specifics. Like I know her last name. I don't know exactly where she lives. We both know what state we live in and that's about it. So doctors would come in and you'd have to be like, okay, my last name is Rollins. And you don't want her to feel like you're hiding. It's just, it was awkward. But I had to spend time with my daughter. And I just held her a lot and snuggled with her and changed my, my first diaper. I hadn't changed a diaper since I was 14. That's a long time ago, folks. Diapers have changed and fed her and just, it was awesome. And there were a few times when the bee mom was like, oh, I want to hold her. But mostly there was no like fighting, like it's mine, it's mine. Or, you know, even 
that was pretty stable. The majority of the time was with me. She was still on drugs, the, the bee mom, and just kind of dealing with some of the complications that she had. She had some serious complications, like bee mom and baby or one or the other really could have died. Like it was serious. But I'm happy to say again, if I haven't said it already, I did have to edit out a piece of this because I said the bee mom's name. So forgive me if I already said it. But bee mom and baby, everybody's healthy. So that's good. So you then wait. You wait because you're waiting for her to kind of get out of the anesthesia. And I got to learn more about her. But I'm waiting for her to sign the paperwork where she relinquishes her, her parental rights. And the dads had been taken care of. So now we wait for the bee, the bee mom. And because she was on so much anesthesia, they had to wait longer. So the next part is kind of a blur. <laughs> I'm like, was it one day or two? Because like I said, it was just dragging. It felt like forever. And I felt like I was kind of in a hole because the hospital room had a view of the roof and the air conditioned duct. And that was it. You couldn't see a tree, a mountain, nothing. So it was very dim in there. Um, the reception was terrible, even with Wi-Fi, so I couldn't talk to my husband as much. Plus, you don't want to sort of do that because it felt like I was talking about the baby in reference to her being ours, but she wasn't yet. So it just, the texting didn't go through very well. Some of the pictures went through and some didn't. So it very much felt like I, I was absorbed into my bee mom's world as she began to tell me more and more about her life and how difficult it was and seeing pictures and just all of these things as to why she would put the, the baby up for adoption and how it really wasn't a gut-wrenching decision for her. You know, a friend of mine had said that, oh, it must be so difficult for her. And for her, everything she's been through, she actually had adopted a, a different child out uh, previously. And she just knew that she's not in a position to be a mom. And it never occurred to her to change her mind. It just didn't. And so she didn't seem tortured. She wasn't tearful. She wasn't upset. She was dealing with drama from her family that made her upset that had nothing to do with me. So that was hard to watch her have to deal with that. But at the same time, I'm on pins and needles. Like, I just want to make her feel comfortable. And I don't want to say the wrong thing, you know. So finally, the point comes, and I think it was, see, baby was born on Friday. And then I think, I can't, I honestly can't remember because it was such a blur. I think she signed the papers on Sunday or Friday or Sunday or Saturday night. I can't remember. I'll have to think about it. But the social worker comes in and they say, here's how it works. You um, have to lag any pain medication or anything that may, you know, change your thought process by 30 minutes and then sign the paperwork and then you can get your pain meds, which is hard thing to tell somebody who just had a c-section like she was in pain like serious pain she couldn't get up and walk at all she was in so much pain when she tried she just started crying which is hard to watch so um she agreed and i was like thank goodness but then myself and rowan had to go to the bonding room which was my room down the hall um, where there's just a couch and it looks like a hospital room without a bed, a TV, all the monitor stuff and whatever. But that's that room was deemed just for me so that I could bond with the baby in private 
and she could sign the paperwork because it would seem as sort of, um, what would you call it? Coercive. If I was in there when she was signing, it would be too much pressure. So the law states that I had to be separate. So Rowan and I went to the other room and I got to spend more time with her. And I think it took about a half hour. I mean, it's a lot of paperwork, as you can imagine, for her to sign. And then they come into the room and they're like, she did it. And, you know, I was just like, phew. But as much as the parental rights are now relinquished and technically the baby is in limbo because the adoption agency takes temporary custody, but we get temporary um, rights at the same time. And it is irrevocable. Like even if she got up and ran out of that hospital bed 10 minutes after she signed the paperwork and was like, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. You cannot do that in the state of Utah, which I think is good because baby doesn't need to be in limbo and all parties' rights are being respected. In some states, birth mom can do that. Change your mind up to I don't know how many days. I'm so happy that that's not the case, that she didn't want to and it was clean and clear. So again, though, as I started to say, the hospital always considers birth mom and baby as a unit, no matter what papers you sign. So until baby is released from hospital and birth mom is released from hospital because they do both at the same time, that baby is still not technically yours according to the hospital. So I couldn't make any decisions for her. It's really awkward. Um, if it, there was a life and death decision, I think I could have, but like basic stuff and they re there really wasn't any decisions to be made. But if it was something simple, like you know, I want to spend time with a baby and I want to be in the bonding room. If, if my bee mom was like, no, I want to be with the baby. That's what would have happened. So again, none of that happened, but I'm just waiting. And she would have been released in a total of two days. She being my bee mom, but she had complications and she wanted an additional day. Well, baby was ready to go, but again, I can't say, well, all right, how about I take the baby and you just chill in the hospital because I want to get out of my life, but you can't do that because it's awkward and you don't want to offend her and make her uncomfortable. So I just said nothing. And I'm like, all right, I just got to put up with whatever happens. And, you know, we pay for all the hospital stuff. So there's part of you that's like, oh my gosh, an extra day is going to be harder and it's going to be more expensive. And do I start a GoFundMe? And it's just that weighs on your mind as well. And I just wanted to take her home and just have her be in my arms and be mine. But I had to respect the process. And even though my bee mom was like, yeah, I think the baby should be released. They just didn't want to make it complicated and kept things how they were originally planned. Bee mom and baby leave the same day, which was harder. It meant a third day of waiting. And again, it dragged on. But again, I got to know more about the bee mom. And I feel like that part is good because as Rowan, maybe as she gets older, has questions, I have a full understanding of who this person is. I know her life story and all the little pieces and parts to the puzzle of where she's from and what she's been through and all these things. So I know that I can help my daughter if she is curious. And side note, um, each bee mom enters a registry so that when Rowan turns 18, she can go on to the registry herself and find exactly where her bee mom is and connect with her. It's not difficult like it used to be, like you have to go on a search trying to find your parent. Like with my brother who was adopted, he never knew who his parents were or any details. And um, it's open in the sense that I email the bee mom with pictures and information and stuff from time to time so she won't be in the dark. 
and all of those will be like a record so that Rowan, if she ever wants to go back and see what I wrote or pictures, it's just going to be an ongoing lifelong sort of, you know, history, an electronic history. So that's great. Anyway, so after the waiting and waiting and waiting and just feeling tense and watching my bee mom go through some stuff with her family that, again, had nothing to do with me, which was really hard because some things got complicated. And again, I, I leaving out the details because it's her stuff, but it did stress me out at, at one point where I was just like, oh, my gosh, like I need a break. I need to practice self-care and just like take a breather. So... I decided I was like, all right, it was like, I think maybe six o'clock and I had really thought I was going to leave. And then the bee mom was like, oh, you know, can you stay? So I stayed a little longer and that's when it got tricky because it was like, now I'm paying attention to the bee mom's needs and I'm not taking care of me. You know, I, there wasn't a lot of food for me to eat. I bring, I brought snacks and you know, there wasn't a lot of beverages. I felt guilty if I'm asking the nurses to sort of wait on me. Can you bring me more water? There's no soda machine or anything. So I'm like, I need to practice my own self-care because I wasn't getting very much sleep. It was stressful. I was anxious. I just wanted to take my baby home. I'm excited. I can't talk to my husband. He's not there. It's I'm living in this box in the hospital where all the connection is poor. So I was like, self, take care of yourself. And so even though my bee mom was like, can you stay longer? I stayed a little while. And then I was like, you know what? I got to do some stuff and talk to my hubby. And so I left. And the next day was when Rowan was going to be released. And then it took forever. Like getting, it just, I don't even understand completely what happened. I was like, can we get her in the morning? You know? And then finally in the afternoon, they're like, well, the baby isn't pooping and she has to poop in order to go. And she had already pooped. But then I'm just like, oh, my God, what does that mean? Is there something wrong with her digestive tract? Is there, you know, so that was a little scary. But I'm just like, be calm, self. She already did her meconium, which is when a baby is first born. They don't poop regular poop. It's this black pasty stuff, which, sorry, maybe that's TMI, but it doesn't smell at all. It just looks like tar. And she'd done that. And then she'd done a regular full poop. And that also doesn't really smell either. It smells like milk, kind of like formula. And um, so she needed to do another poop in order to be released. So we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And I'm bonding with, with Rowan and the social worker was there and we were chatting. And then they were like, all right, well, we're going to give her a, um, was it a suppository? I think that's what that was called. And um, they put it in. <laughs> And again, maybe this is TMI. And out came that poop. And it was like mm, coming out like a soft serve ice cream machine. We're like, oh, my God, there it is. So we're like, yay, she pooped. And my husband and stepkids were like betting on what time of day it would be that she pooped. And, you know, not really money, but just everybody was just happy that she pooped because that meant I could take her home. So they officially release her and they teach me how to use a um, what do you call it? A car seat because I didn't know how to use it at all. And we're on our way. And I'll tell you all of what happened when we got home and the conclusion of this adoption story right after the break. Stay with me. So Rowan and I rode off in the sunset. <laughs> no, we didn't. Welcome back. Um, 
I mean, it felt like it. It felt like the Jody that flew into Utah and the Jody that was now, and I had rented a small compact car, but they were like, oh, we can upgrade you for free to a minivan. I'm like, well, that's prophetic, right? I, <laughs> I actually really needed that. So there I am doing the minivan thing with my newborn in the back. And she was a champ. She did not cry at all. She went right to sleep. She loves the car. And we rode off and I'm officially a mom. And it was awesome. Um, you know, taking care of a newborn in a hotel is not ideal. But I learned about her and I learned that she is so content and easy. Like she doesn't nonstop cry for no reason. She's not colicky, which was a concern because my bee mom had passed babies that were all severely colic. And I was like, oh gosh, let me just be mentally prepared for that. And she wasn't. So, and I got to wake her up here in a moment. So I'm going to have to wrap up the show a little bit earlier than I wanted to. But I will say it's just been amazing. I mean, yes, I've been tired, but I haven't been exhausted until I got back from the, the plane ride home because I'm home now. And that was harder because just the time zone change and everything. But she is just, she doesn't cry a lot when she cries. It's because she's hungry or needs to poop or, you know, wants to snuggle. She's a snuggler, which I love. Or she wants her binky, which she started holding her own binky sort of, not completely, but like trying to control her little arms and hold it towards her face within the first or second day, which is, I'm, I'm sorry, I think she's brilliant. And she's beautiful too, to boot, because let's be honest, you want a kid that you're going to be connecting to who you look at and go, oh my gosh, how cute. And you don't know what's going to happen when you're adopting. I mean, some regular birth moms don't connect to their child right away. It could take hours, days, or even weeks. And so same happens with B moms. I'm sorry, um, A moms, confusing myself, adoptive moms have, I'm, I belong to an adopted mommy page on Facebook, and a lot of them have mentioned, you, you know, it, it took a little time for me to connect to my child, but now I'm madly in love. So it can go either way, right off the bat, a few hours, few days, whatever. And so I didn't know what would happen, but instantly I love this, this little girl. Like, she's amazing. And I just look at her little face and her, she makes the funniest faces. And again, I, I, whenever I can capture them, I do. And I share them on social media. But she's a really amazing little human being. And I love her temperament. And getting to know her personality already has been a joy and a pleasure. So my hubby comes home tomorrow and they're finally going to have their grand meeting. And I cannot wait because my husband is an amazing father and she's so lucky to have him and he just can't wait to put her in his arms. She met my stepdaughter yesterday and I have friends who want to meet her. I've been tired today, just catching up on my sleep. So it's been incredible and I'm so grateful. I mean, that's the thing I continue to say. I'm so grateful that my bee mom did what she did and I'm so grateful that this little girl is healthy and happy and just perfect. I mean, it is a wonderful experience after all the pain and the suffering and the work and just, ugh, and the uncomfortableness and the awkwardness and the hospital and all of that and waiting for her to poop. Here we are and she's home in her bassinet and all of her things and all of the gifts that, that listeners and friends alike have sent. Thank you so much. I'm just floored with the outpouring of love that 
babies create. I mean, she's the gift. I don't need anything else, but having these gifts come in is awesome too. So thank you for everybody out there who sent things. Um, I was going to talk about some other topics, but I really need to get in there and feed her. She's obviously my priority, but I mean, really, a miracle child. You haven't heard a peep out of her because she's been sleeping. So it's time to wake her up for this feeding, change the old diaper, and just look at her because I'm in love. I'm infatuated. I just, her little tiny lips and her little eyes and her little fingers and her little, just everything. She's amazing, 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 amazing. So lots of stuff to talk about in the coming episodes. I, I am going to continue to try to do the best scheduling possible, but you know, she's the boss now. What happens with her is kind of controlling my schedule. Um, I'm still a journalist and writing my articles, so that's important too, but I am here with her. I'm home with her. That is my focus. Um, I definitely want to talk about everything that's happening with COVID and this Delta variant. We, our county, just went back on a mask, mask mandate. We had been off of it, and now we're back on it. And I know somebody who's sick in the hospital with it right now. They've been in there for 10 days. They're only like 45, 46 years old. And they didn't believe in it. They're like, oh, well, I don't know. It's stupid. It's just going to be like a flu. Now he's dependent on op oxygen and can't get out of the hospital. Can't breathe. Not on a ventilator, but cannot live without oxygen. Cannot do anything. Coughing. It's terrible. And he was like, it's not a big deal. I'll just, I don't need a vaccine. I don't need to wear masks. It's just like a bad cold. So... There's a lot to talk about with that. There's a lot to talk about with everything that's going on in Afghanistan. Have you guys seen the videos of the Air Force plane and the people who fell from the plane and the thousands and thousands of people? <sighs> if you haven't seen it, that is, I mean, as I posted on my Instagram yesterday, there are historical moments that when you see them on video that will be forever be burned into your memory. And that that it's, it's a plane going down the tarmac with thousands of people running alongside of the plane and hanging off the wing and the parts of the plane. And it, it actually takes off and two people fell to their death. I think five or more were killed. People are being killed in Afghanistan. The, the, the president fled the country. It's, it's bad. <sighs> so there's a lot going on besides babies. For now, I'm just going to focus on baby heaven and the joy of being a parent. Thank you guys for supporting this journey, the notes and messages and gifts and everything. For those of you who've reached out, thank you. For those of you who are just sending me good vibes, thank you. And thank you for supporting this show and listening to my stories and observations. I'm going to go feed Rowan right now because... That's the end of this episode. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Time's up.